Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yo, yo, welcome to a postseason postgame edition of the Forum Club. I'm your host, Jovan Buha, Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. And the Lakers dropped game one to the Phoenix Suns, 99 to 90, in what was a very weird game. Uh, that, that was the best way for me to describe it. Uh, a lot of the trends that we have discussed all season bore themselves out. Uh, some of the issues from the Golden State plan game and just some of the big picture season long issues uh, continued in this game. And I think it was a little discouraging for me uh, just from watching and observing the team so closely all season to see that come playoff time, it was some of the same issues. It was a stagnant offense in which the team turned the ball over almost as much as they assisted the ball. Uh, they, you know, couldn't make free throws and in, in, in threes. Um, you know, AD was drifting along the perimeter. They were going to center lineups next to AD too often when really there's one primary center that complements AD well, and that player didn't even play. Um, and, you know, I, I thought another guy or another couple guys who were going to have big roles in this series also didn't play much either. So there's a lot to take away from game one. Um, you know, I, I think in the big picture, my official pick going into the series was Lakers in six. And you know, I think that entailed probably splitting the first four games uh, and, and and then, or maybe the Lakers going up 3-1, losing game five, then, then going back to Staples and winning game six. But I was not expecting a sweep. I was not expecting Lakers on five. I know some people were thinking that. I think under normal circumstances, if the Lakers had home court advantage and they were fully healthy, had had a relatively normal season, I probably would pick Lakers in five. Uh, but with them not having home court advantage, with LeBron and AD still relatively working themselves back into shape and, uh, you know, getting acclimated with, with new lineups and rotations and different things. Like I expected some of these issues. So that, that's why I, I picked the Lakers in six, but I do think game one probably went a little worse than I thought just in terms of the Lakers game plan and approach and adjustments. Um, you know, what one thing, uh, so you know, quickly, I, I do want to apologize for not having a preview pod for the series. Uh, you know, just the, the schedules. Bill is in Phoenix right now. Our schedules just didn't align. I was also digging deep into film and, and numbers for uh, the actual written preview on The Athletic. So I hope you check that out uh, be, before the series. But uh, moving forward, we will have a preview for each round, uh, assuming the Lakers get out of this round. But I, I still think they will. But I do think that th this series might end up going seven uh, rather than six. But one of the things I noted in my preview and really was the first thing and of utmost importance, in my opinion, was how the Lakers defended Phoenix in the pick and roll. And we know all season that the Lakers have primarily been 
a drop coverage team and a catch hedging team. Um, so drop coverage, you're dropping back to the paint, uh, usually giving up that mid-range area. Um, catch hedging, you're not fully showing or trapping or blitzing. You're kind of playing higher up in the drop and allowing that guard uh, ample space to recover and you know, kind of making almost at the level also of the roller where you're not letting that roller get behind you. Of, of course, if he does get behind you, that, that's where the help guy has to step up and, and rotate over. But, um, you, you know, you're, you're kind of doing two things at once. And the Lakers have a couple bigs in Andre Drummond and Montrose Harrell who are capable of executing that scheme at a high level, but primarily in the, in the regular season. Uh, in the postseason, as we know, the game changes. You have to make adjustments. You have to take away team strengths. And I felt that going into this matchup, it was clear that the Lakers were going to have to take away Chris Paul and Devin Booker in the pick and roll. Uh, and, and those guys presented a unique challenge because they're so mid-range heavy. And the way most deep, you know, most modern pick and roll defenses are, they're trying to take away the rim and the three-point line. And they're willing to give up and let teams live in the mid-range. But you can't do that against Phoenix because... Um, you know, Phoenix, uh, Chris Paul and shot 51% on mid-range jumpers this season. Devin Booker shot 48%. Those are both elite numbers. Those are like Dirk in his prime, uh, you, you know, like numbers, like, like pick, you know, Kevin Durant, like pick, pick whoever your, your favorite mid-range artist is. And that is like as efficient as it gets. So those guys present some, some issues in the pick and roll. And just the, to, to say nothing of their craft and their guile and, and their ball handling and just those guys are, are, are so good. And Phoenix was number two seed for a reason. So for me, um, you know, I, I felt that them slowing those guys down was going to be, again, arguably the, the biggest factor from the Lakers side. Um, and then the other factor was going to be how Phoenix slowed down LeBron in AD and I felt both things went decidedly in Phoenix's favor. I mean, Chris Paul ended up injuring his shoulder in the first half, still played 36 minutes, still played through it, but was clearly physically compromised, only took eight shots, finished with seven points and eight assists, still was able to play make, still hit that jumper late over Kyle Kuzma, uh, but but he clearly was not himself and you know had, had several uncharacteristic turnovers. Uh, well, actually, had one official turnover but but had some weird ball handling miscues where he was just losing the ball uh and there's a couple times where he lost it and phoenix recovered it so that's why it kind of looked like a turnover but phoenix was able to salvage it but chris paul so in a way like the lakers got up away from from having to deal with chris paul just because he got injured and, and that was just how the game broke but devin booker had in his playoff debut 34 points eight assists uh, on 30 uh, he had shot 13 for 26 on the floor including three of seven from deep. And Devin Booker was the best player on the floor, like by a, a wide margin, uh, just dominated this game. Uh, again, was attacking the pick and roll, pin downs, uh, you know, just coming from the baseline, like all over the place. He, he was just dominant. And I think that he just got way too comfortable uh, against the Lakers bigs. And I think like Montrezl Harrell and Andre Drummond executed the Lakers schemes for the most part, like they were doing what they were supposed to do. It was just, I'm not sure why they were doing it. And the Lakers were in drop coverages and catch hedges for most of the game. And Devin Booker was just going downhill on the bigs or pulling up for mid range jumpers. And I think 
against Chris Paul and Devin Booker, the Lakers are going to have to play them almost like Steph Curry or Dame Lillard. And they don't need to trap them near half court necessarily. It doesn't need to be playing up for the threat of an off the dribble three, but they need to pressure them. And you saw there were times where they did pressure Chris and Devin and they forced them into turnovers or it forces a swing swing. And then you're putting a Mikhail Bridges or Jay Crowder in a situation where those guys have to put the ball on the floor and try to attack a rotating, scrambling defense. And that is not the strength of those guys. And, and yes, there were some threes that happened. Uh, and, and, you know, Phoenix was able to, to create some open looks out of those situations. But there were also some turnovers and some rush shots that occurred from that. And I think that is like the Lakers have to blitz and trap and double and really put pressure on Chris Paul and Devin Booker because those are the two primary playmakers. Campaign also when he's out there, but he's a different level of a, of a threat than a Devin Booker and a Chris Paul. Obviously, he's not at their level. He's also looking to shoot more. So, you know, you, you're, he's not that just dual threat that, that Chris Paul and Devin Booker are. But when those guys have the ball, the Lakers need to force the ball out of their hands because the other guys, like unless the Lakers are screwing up the rotations, which... Granted, there were, there was plenty of that in this game. Um, you know, when they're on point with their rotations and they're locked in and they're playing lineups that make sense, the Lakers are the best defensive team in the league. And, you know, forcing DeAndre Ayton to be a playmaker out of the short roll um, and even out of the long roll, but, but especially out of the short roll in the pick and roll, uh, making guys like Saric and Crowder and Bridges uh, and Tory Craig and Cam Johnson put the ball on the floor, make plays, uh, you know, drive to the basket, try to make kickout passes, like all these things. That's what you want as a Lakers. That's a win for your defense. And we saw that. It's just the Lakers surprisingly didn't go to it that often. And I don't know if this, I mean, LeBron has called it game one's historically a, a feel out game. He's, he's already called it, he called it after the game a feel out game, he called it before the game a feel out game. So, like, I don't know if there's just some frank and lebron want to slow play this and we, we saw it last year right we saw it in the portland series we saw it in the houston series the lakers kind of approached with their standard game plan in game one they, they got punched in the mouth and they counter punched in game two and went on to win those series in five and, and perhaps that happens in this series i just personally think phoenix is i mean they're clearly better than that portland team i think they're better than that houston team and them versus Denver is tough because Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray were just at a, a different level that postseason. And, and they were coming off beating the Jazz in seven, the Clippers in seven. They, they'd had two, you know, 3-1 series comebacks. So comparing this team to that Denver team, I mean, this team was better in the regular season than that Denver team was. Um, I think w with all the injuries and different stuff that happened this year, th there might have been a little bit of flukiness to this. I, I don't know because... I think that version of Jokic is better than any player on this Phoenix team. And honestly, that version of Jamal Murray is probably right here with Devin Booker, but was actually playing better probably than even Booker played tonight. So it is tough to compare. It's sort of apples to oranges. But my point being is like this Phoenix team is better than Portland and Houston, like the teams the Lakers came back and won in five. And that's again why I did not pick the Lakers to win this series in five because I don't, Lakers also didn't have home court advantage. I mean, Lakers had home court last year, and technically it was the bubble, so there was no real home court. But Phoenix has home court, and their fans showed up today. And yes, there were a lot of Laker fans. Lakers had some cheering. Uh, you know, some of the guys talked about it after the game, but 
Phoenix's crowd was active and loud, and it clearly rubbed off on the Suns and gave them some extra juice. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... Real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Like, the Lakers are in a a heavyweight battle right now, and I, I think... Like people should not sleep on the Suns. I, I try to say that in in my preview. Like they can beat the Lakers. I would not be shocked if they beat the Lakers. I, I don't think it's likely. I still think the Lakers should be the favorites. And I I thought the Lakers were going to split the first two games in Phoenix. So until they go down 0-2, I'm not really going to be worried. But for me, it was more the process of how they lost this game rather than just the result itself. Right. So. Again, I didn't expect the Lakers to go up 2-0. I didn't expect them to win both games in Phoenix. I thought they were going to have sort of a, a loss like this. But the the fact that they were, were doing things that just didn't really make sense against the Suns, that to me was the concerning thing. Um, I think another thing is, is they're going to have to downsize. And I actually think Andre Drummond and Montrezl Harrell weren't as bad as people were making them out to be. I think that, um, you know, both of them, like they they executed their defensive responsibilities. They were active on the offensive glass. Trez had a couple offensive rebounds. Andre actually had seven. And, you know, I I just think it's those guys don't really make sense in this series. Like Montrezl Harrell is not a good matchup against DeAndre Ayton. We saw that in the regular season game in which he started against Ayton. Andre Drummond again, can be active in his pick and roll defense, can be active on the offensive glass, can obviously finish wide open dunks. And and when he gets that deep ceiling and post position, I mean, he actually misses a lot of those, but he'll draw fouls and he'll maybe get his offensive rebound, tip it back in. Like he can do those things. And Andre Drummond has value. I I think I'm not like, I've seen, Lakers Twitter is very divided, obviously on Andre Drummond and most of it's anti-Drummond. 
And I, I would say I'm more on the anti-Drummond side than the pro-Drummond side, but I, I do think some of the criticisms against Drummond are unfair, are unwarranted, and are a little bit overblown um, when some of it honestly just falls on Anthony Davis. And it's like, yes, Andre Drummond is in the dunker spot. Sometimes he's in the lane during some of these sequences and it makes it tougher, but Anthony Davis doesn't have to be at the three-point line. He doesn't have to be pushed off the block by Mikhail Bridges or Jay Crowder. And, and that was... I think, you know, from the offensive side, one of the most discouraging things, if not the most discouraging, was just, you know, Anthony Davis had 13 points on five of 16 shooting, uh, was just three for five from the free throw line, and only had seven rebounds, including zero offensive. And it just, you know, AD just punished this team two weeks ago with 42 points, season high. And it didn't matter what Phoenix threw at him. He destroyed all of them. Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, Torrey Craig, DeAndre Ayton, Dario Saric, Frank Kaminsky, he cooked them all. He took them all off the dribble. He shot over all of them. He got deep post position. He was more physical. And then it's game one of the playoffs. And where did that go? Like, what was this version of AD that we just saw? This was one of his worst games of the season in what up to this point is the Lakers most important game of the season. And to his credit, AD called himself out after the game. He took responsibility. He said that the Lakers are not going to win a game in this series, let alone win the series with him playing like this. So you got to give AD credit for, you know, he's done that all season. When he has a poor performance, he will call himself out. He will take responsibility. And more often than not, he has bounced back. But again, I think macro here, big picture, my biggest concern with this Lakers team is that, and it happened in the playing game. And I said it after the playing game, like some of the trends that have been, troubling this team they don't just go away because the games matter all of a sudden that's not how this works this team can flip the switch we've seen them flip the switch but a lot of the times they flip the switch we're against lottery teams like those memphis game or oh sorry memphis made the playoffs actually and they just beat utah so i i apologize memphis i don't mean to disrespect you but thinking back during that stretch of detroit oklahoma city memphis um you know, like th that string of games where like the Lakers were down double digits, down big in the first half, and they rallied to win all those games. Like, yes, they can flip the switch against lottery teams or low tier playoff teams, but a, a Phoenix Suns team that was top six in offense, top six in defense, number three in net rating, this is not a team you could just flip the switch against. Like you have to bring it from the jump. And I, I do think the Lakers brought their urgency to an extent, but Phoenix I felt like the Lakers had urgency and, and intensity and they were trying, but Phoenix was by far the more physical team. Like they were pushing the Lakers around. They were the one, they scored more points in the paint. They out-rebounded them. They had more offensive rebounds. Like Phoenix and, and DeAndre Ayton, like you got to give, again, Devin Booker was, was the best player on the floor. DeAndre Ayton was probably the second best player. I think DeAndre Ayton probably played, outplayed LeBron. 21 points, 16 rebounds, seven offensive, 10 of 11 shooting, uh, which is just insane, only missed one shot. And if I'm not mistaken, it was like a little bunny that he then got the offensive rebound and, and put in a hook shot after. Uh, but DeAndre Ayton slipping behind Drummond and AD, uh, getting offensive rebounds, just rolling into wide open space. And again, I think the biggest problem for the Lakers in game one was their pick and roll coverages. They were awful. Uh, they did not execute them well. You know, had they executed them better, they could have worked better, right? You know, better execution. But in general, 
the Lakers have to trap. They have to blitz. They have to double. And they were doubling a bit on the sidelines uh, and, and near the baseline and the corners. They, they, they did have some selective doubling, but it, it's got to be get the ball out of Devin Booker's hands. And if Chris Paul is injured, which you know we, we don't know his status moving forward. We, we don't know if he's going to be physically compromised for the rest of the series. Like Lakers got to put pressure on him too. And I, I felt like they were not pressuring him enough for a guy who just injured his right shoulder which is his primary dribbling hand and his shooting hand. Like, I, I just felt that there was some low-hanging fruit that the Lakers didn't capitalize in this game. Worth mentioning, there was the kerfuffle, I just like that word, uh, with where LeBron misses the, the free throw with nine minutes left. I think it was 9.02 left in uh, the, the fourth quarter. Chris Paul undercuts him. It was a dirty play. It was a dangerous play, as Frank Vogel said. Um, what was interesting is if you go back and look at the film, uh, the, the way that sequence goes at 908, LeBron is shooting a free throw. He misses it. And Chris Paul tries to do the same thing. Like he had already tried to undercut him once. Then there's like Phoenix gets the ball. They're on a fast break. And then there's LeBron. Like I forgot what happened. Someone dribbles it or there's a turn. Like they turn the ball over. LeBron gets it drives back to the rim, gets fouled. So now six seconds later, he's back at the free throw line. Then Chris Paul undercuts him again, causing LeBron to fall and hurt his shoulder. And it was this really weird play because Chris injures himself at the nine-minute mark of the second quarter. And it's this big spectacle. He's on the ground in pain. Um, It looks like a very serious injury. I thought he dislocated his shoulder. But one of the guys that was right there was LeBron, and, and he pulls him aside and, and he gives him a quick kind of word of encouragement, and he was clearly concerned for Chris Paul. And then some uh, 24 minutes later, Chris undercuts LeBron twice, and and you know of course uh, it's become a running joke on, on on Twitter at this point that how many times it gets brought up that the two are best friends. But for those of you that somehow don't know. Chris and LeBron are best friends and, you know, banana boat crew. And it just, it's like the, the, the dichotomy there of like, you know, LeBron is a competitor, but it was his, his boy goes down and he's checking on him and like trying to kind of pump him up and encourage him. And Chris responds with, you know, I'm going to try to undercut you twice and and basically injure your right shoulder. It it was just, yeah, it was, it was just kind of interesting to see. And then of course you had, off to the side, Alex Crusoe campaign, get into it. Trez seeing the action happen from behind half court charges Dex campaign. Somehow Trez and, and doesn't get ejected. He and Alex both get texts and then campaign gets two texts. Cause he kind of initiated it with Alex. Then Alex went at him. Then he went back at Alex. So it was a whole thing. Uh, but, but I mean, this series is chippy. It's going to be like that. I mean, that's how Phoenix is. Um, I feel like they've been like this for like seven or eight years. I don't know if anyone else listening has like noticed this, but it just has felt like Phoenix has been, and, and it's weird because they, they've had multiple coaches. They've had multiple generations of rosters. So it's not like there's one dude, like Booker, Booker gets into it. So Booker, I think Booker is one of the guys who like, you know, kind of is part of it. Having Chris Paul now, having Jay Crowder, um, they, they have some of those guys that like to mix it up and, and, are always kind of in these scuffles and double texts and different stuff. But it, it's just really fascinating to me that Phoenix, 
I feel like for going on seven, eight, nine years now, they're just one of the teams that is getting like double. Like it feels like they get a double. Like every every time I watch a Phoenix game, there's always a near altercation, and there's like double texts left and right, and it's felt like that for seven, eight, nine years, and it's just like that's kind of the culture that they 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 have over there, and I think in this game it it worked to their benefit. Um, you know what I mean, like they just kind of pushed the Lakers around. And it's weird because on paper, this to me, there was a lot of similarities with the Golden State, uh, like the, the Lakers Warriors dynamic and the Lakers Suns dynamic where Suns only play one center. Like, you know, the, the Warriors only played one center in Kavon Looney. Uh, then the rest of the time is Draymond Green at center. With, uh, sorry, the Warriors. And then with the Phoenix, it's DeAndre Ayton is the only center and of course, he's much better than Kavon Looney. Like, he, he, I mean, especially after his game one performance. But then they go with Dario Saric at center, who's a stretch four, essentially, uh, masquerading as a center. So I felt that with them being so wing and guard heavy and watching the way AD dominated them, the way LeBron dominated them, um, and LeBron, you know, doesn't get off the hook here either. I know he's still a few games back from his injury, and I think clearly not in tip-top physical shape. Like I was watching, I mean, I I watched the LeBron versus Phoenix highlights earlier in the season, you know, went through the film on Synergy and that LeBron was explosive. He's getting out in transition, dunking, he's blocking people. Um, He's just a force in the paint. And we have not really seen that from him consistently since he's returned. Uh, We saw it a little bit towards the end of the Gold State game, but that was more like old man skill, and strength versus like the explosion athleticism, which LeBron has somehow kept at year 18, age 36. Uh, but he had a near trouble double, 18 points, seven rebounds, 10 assists, but was not, you know, only took 13 shots and just did not look like himself offensively. And I, I felt for LeBron and AD to combine for 31 points, like that to me is just, I, I it's, incomprehensible of like I mean these two should be combining for 55 plus every night especially against this team um so I think adjustments moving forward um for for the Lakers I think one got to change the pick and roll scheme I think they they have to trap and blitz more they have to double more they have to play higher up in their in their pick and roll coverages uh number two more idea at the five uh, the Lakers were minus six in the 15 minutes that AD played at the five. There were some in-between minutes where he was playing with Trez and technically was the five, but I I don't consider, like Trez is not a stretch big, so I don't really consider that 80 at the five. I consider it like 4.5. Uh, he's a five defensively, but offensively, Trez is still in the dunker spot near the lane, messing up the spacing. So I would say, uh, uh, you know, more 80 at the five. That 15 minutes needs to get stretched out to, 25 to 30 minutes. Uh, and I want to see some Marcus Gasol and I want to see some more Kyle Kuzma and Wes Matthews. I, I was really surprised Wes did not play in the first quarter, barely played in the first half, and didn't really play much in the second half, honestly, either. Only played 12 minutes overall. Kuz at 19 minutes felt low given this matchup. I, I know he didn't have a great game, but again, like I, I want to see more AD at the five and then put Kuz at the four or put Markeef at the four. Uh, I also want to see some Mark. I, I know... At times, the tempo was a little high with some of the fast breaking, especially in the first half for Mark. But the the, the pace actually ended up being a eighty eight point three. There was only ninety possessions in the game. Like Phoenix, Chris Paul teams do not like to run; they like to 
slow it down, execute a half court in a half court setting. So I actually think Mark can play in this. Um, I, I think he, if you want to do the catch hedging, Mark is is good at that. I think better. Like Andre is actually pretty good at it, but I think Mark is better at it than than Trez. Um, and and just again, I, I just I don't see the argument. Like Trez only had. Um, you know, what, two offensive rebounds, three rebounds overall. Did have 12 points, but a lot of that was just LeBron finding him in the dunker spot, LeBron breaking down the defense, uh, more so in the first half. Trez had uh, 10 points in the first half. Like, I think Mark's spacing, three-point shooting, passing. I don't have to sell you guys on Mark. I know most of Lakers' Twitter is pro-Mark. Um, so I think that's another thing. And, yeah, I think they got to figure out a way to, to win the non-LeBron win, uh, minutes as well because LeBron was plus two in a game that they lost by nine which means they were minus 11 when LeBron was out the floor. And this has now been a trend all season. It's been a trend last season. But last season, they actually won the non-LeBron minutes in the playoffs. And that was because AD was so great. And they also had Rondo. Um, So I'm looking at AD, Dennis, who who didn't have a good game, and and then playing some Mark in in those non-LeBron minutes to kind of right the ship offensively and, and get this team going. But let's get into the open forum part of the podcast. Uh, let's get into some questions. Question number one from at Dagger112233 on Twitter. What is your level of concern after game one on a scale of one to 10? Well, as I said, I felt the Lakers, I expected the Lakers to lose one of the two. Um, and I, I, I honestly thought game one was probably more likely just because the Lakers, you know, Phoenix had a week to prepare for the Lakers. You know, I know they're preparing for multiple teams technically, but they probably had. A, I mean, the Lakers were heavy favorites over the Warriors. They probably were were scouting them, you know, pretty heavily. Uh, the Suns have also had a week off, which it can go one way or the other in terms of rest versus rust. It clearly, I think, went more in the rest way uh, for for them. And this was a young team in their first playoff experience. Very excited, a, a packed house. Uh, so there, there were some things going in Phoenix's favor, but I would say right now my level of concern is a five, uh, and th- that is, I guess, if if we're starting the playoffs at like a one, um, I would say I jumped from a one to a five, and I think if the Lakers go down two one, be it I mean, if they go, if they go down two zero, oh, that probably jumps to a seven. If they win game two and lose game three, it jumps to a seven. Uh, obviously, if they're down three one, it's it's going to be pretty high. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm not too concerned yet. Like I, I'm still picking the Lakers to win the series. I'm, I'm still going to s- stick with my Lakers in six pick. But I, I will say I will adjust that quickly if the Lakers do not adjust in game two. Like if the Lakers are going to stick with these schemes, these pick and roll coverages, this rotation, playing Trez over Mark. Playing Andre over Mark, um, and, and not playing AD at the five enough. I mean, again, those those aren't the only issues, but those are like just the glaring red flag, obvious issues that the Lakers need to address. And, and then, like, yes, like you know, look at it. AD and LeBron had not had subpar offensive games. I thought LeBron, frankly, had a, had a pretty bad defensive game as well. His, his rotations were not there. There's a lot of times he lost his assignment, just didn't care. Uh, AD was not his, his typical self defensively in terms of being a, a scheme wrecker and just an all-world defender. Um, you know, like 
there weren't some there weren't great defensive performances and the Lakers were, t- were kind of tooting their horn with, with holding the Suns to 99 but I felt that was more you know p- possession wise than anything of just so few possessions um like the, the Suns still had a 112.1 offensive rating uh which is pretty good you know I mean not not great but uh it's not bad the Lakers had a 101.9 offensive rating that's bad uh that's really bad so I, you know, I, I didn't think the Lakers played this great defensive game the way that they were kind of uh, touting it afterward. Like, they were blaming the offense more. And, and the offense was a problem, but they also got carved up in the pick and roll. So um, I, I would say I, I'm at a five. I'm a little bit higher than I thought I was going to be after game one. Uh, I, I thought that the Lakers would have a, a better process to their approach to game one. So that discourage me and Phoenix's ability to again exert themselves physically for for Andre uh for DeAndre Ayton to have his way with the Lakers front line and, and including AD like he was getting offensive rebounds over AD um and and my mistake DeAndre Ayton actually had eight offensive rebounds I think I said seven earlier um but but the Phoenix I mean they didn't even shoot the ball that well but they had a lot of open threes as well uh and they're a better shooting team than the Lakers Lakers took 16 more free throws and that was really one of the things that kept them in it. Um, you know, only made seven more than, than Phoenix with, with how poorly they shot. But yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot of things that went Phoenix's way, but there's a lot of things that I think are sustainable. And I think Phoenix is really, really good. So um, I, I think to me, this is, I, I'm leading more towards this probably being a seven game series now, which is my first impressions of, of how the two teams looked in game one. But I, I want to reserve my judgment to, to game two, how the Lakers counter punch, how they respond. And uh, again, if, if they go down 0-2, then maybe this is a five-game series and the Lakers lose, right? But I, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm just saying, like, I, I kind of got to see game two. But my first initial impression is I'm a little bit concerned. I'm probably more concerned than I thought I'd be after game one. But I, I'm going to reserve judgment until I see the the, the counter uh, counterpunch. And then last one from Charles uh, at Prince. Charles, uh, C-H-R-L-S-Y, so Charles Z. Uh, thoughts on Keith and Mark? Uh, now, I, I already kind of spoke on Mark, so my thoughts on Mark are I think he's their best non-AD center. I think he's clearly their best non-AD center in terms of defense, in terms of shooting and floor spacing. Uh, I mean, that's that's like the shooting, floor spacing, and passing is non-negotiable or, or just non-debatable, like inarguable. It, it's... He clearly is, right? Like, he's a better passer than Andre Drummond. He's a better passer than Montrezl Harrell. He's also a better three-point shooter because those guys can't shoot threes. He's a better floor spacer because he hangs out behind the arc. Those guys hang out in the lane, in the dunker spot. So he helps in that, those regard. Defensively, some people can quibble, but I think he's he's still the, the best defender. And yes, there's times he gets blown by or, or scored over, but so do those guys. And those guys often are making the wrong rotation or... Um, or just have physical limitations that they can't do certain things that Mark, at least w- with being a bit bigger and and being, I think, higher basketball IQ can, can kind of negate some of that. So I just think that there are like the strengths that those guys have over Mark are, are really, well, with Drummond, it's the rebounding and with Trez, it's the finishing. But I don't necessarily know if this is a series where the Lakers are going to be able to exploit either one of those. So for me, it's I'm, I'm pro Mark, start Mark, play him more. That's probably not going to happen, but he, in my opinion, should be playing over Trez in pretty much in any series. Unless Mark is getting targeted defensively and getting played off the court, I will entertain a let's try Trez. But the Lakers' default has really been play Trez 
And then if, if him or Andre's in foul trouble or there's an injury or something, then we go to Mark. But to me, that, that's the wrong process. It should be Mark first. If Mark can't hang, let's try Trez. Uh, he's just a better player. And, and really, other than the finishing, which I think is a little bit overrated in playoff basketball when we've seen Trez struggle with the Clippers and, and, and even in this game, uh, you know, was only really eating against the second unit. And that's fine. He could play against the second unit. But I just, I think Mark's better. And I think Mark should play more. But uh, that that's just beating a dead horse. I've, I've said that multiple times. I'm not the only person in Lakers media to say that. Um, as for Keefe, I think Keefe is worth a look only because I think Keefe and AD have a nice synergy as in the 5-4 like combo. And, and we saw that like AD, Keefe, and Kuz or AD, Keefe, and, and Braun, that front court worked last postseason. Um, I think the issue with Keefe is he shot 31% on threes this season, and that's a horrible mark. And uh, he, he did have some games where he shot the ball well, and, and he had some games where he was able to get into the post and, and hit his turnaround and uh, mid-post actions and different stuff. But that's not really playoff offense that you want to go to. Uh, I think he, he's regressed a little bit defensively and as a rebounder. Um, so overall, like I get why Keith isn't in the rotation. But again, if if you're gonna play Trez at the four, you might as well almost play Keith at the four. Like I, I you know I, I still don't even really see like Trez over Keith at the four. That also doesn't make sense to me because again, like Trez and Mark, at least you have Mark is fine spacing the floor, so you let Trez eat inside. But if you're playing Trez at the four with AD, like it makes more sense defensively to to kind of hide Trez. But offensively, you're just kind of messing with AD spacing again. So I, 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 I think my probably honest adjustment would be to bench Trez and to go with Mark and, and maybe test out Keefe a little bit, um, see kind of the matchups. Like, I don't love him guarding like a Cam Johnson. Uh, Tory Craig, he can hang with, but Tory Craig only played three minutes. Uh, he could probably hang with Jay Crowder. Uh, but but Br- Bridges and Johnson, just as, as shooters, they can probably take him off the bounce, which you probably want, but it depends if it's like a weak side rotation and they're just getting to the rim off of blowing by Keefe. Like, you don't love that if you're the Lakers. So I think Keefe is, is probably worth a look. Um, you know, I think some people look at it and they're like, well, Lakers should stay big. They should pound them on the glass. Well, they did that and they didn't pound them on the glass. I mean, yes, they had 10 offensive rebounds, but Phoenix had 16, out-rebounded them by 14. So, and it was one game. Like, let's stay big and pound them on the glass didn't work and i don't know if it's going to work in this series i actually think it's the opposite where playing teams like golden state and phoenix they're playing small and lakers have the best small ball unit in the league the 80 lebron 5-4 combo is the best small ball combo in the league so i actually think it plays to lakers strengths where the lakers can out small ball them we saw them do it to houston last year they beat them at their own game i think they could beat phoenix at their own game so I think the staying big, they might need to do that against the Denver, against the Philadelphia, against the Utah, where those guys just have these these hulking elite centers that are going to maybe get AD in foul trouble or even score over him in certain situations where you want a Mark out there, you want an Andre out there for post defense or whatever. But for as good as DeAndre Ayton played, a lot of it was rolls into empty space, slipping behind the defense, offensive rebounds. Like it was not a lot of, I'm gonna get the ball in the post and take you one-on-one and face up and turn around and different stuff. Like it was a lot of just easy baskets that he kind of stumbled into and credit to him, but also that's on the Lakers defense. And I just think 80 at the five is the answer. I wanna see the Lakers shot that out for 25 to 30 minutes. They still lose the game, then I'm wrong and I'll come on this podcast and say it. But until then, I'm gonna go with what has been arguably the best lineup in the NBA over the past year and a half. But I'm gonna end it there. 
Uh, we'll be back for game two, game three, all the games in the postseason. Hopefully it goes past game four. <laughs> I think it will. Uh, but thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at Yovan Buha. That's at Joe V-A-N-B-U-H-A. Uh, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, including on The Athletic. And if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, uh, you can do so by going to theathletic.com or subscribing off of one of my stories on my Twitter account or off Instagram or wherever. And uh, we currently have a $1 per month deal for new subscribers for the first six months. It's a great deal for the price of an expensive coffee. You get the all the athletics content for $1 a month. Uh, so definitely check that out and be sure to subscribe. Thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you in a couple days. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.